We don't have a public sector planet and a private sector planet. We all live on the same planet. And, you know, if we carry on with the damage that we're doing to it, uh, wealth, it's only going to buy you protection for so long. You know, it's, it's coming for all of us. Hi, I'm Basil Demarudis, and welcome to The Forecast, the podcast exploring the critical issues shaping the future of our cities, our buildings, and the spaces between. Through our lens of sustainability and social impact, I'll look beyond the property industry, talking to prominent thought leaders who are influencing what our future cities will look like, from the world of technology, culture, arts, philosophy, philanthropy, education, more. And through these conversations, I hope you'll enjoy some bite-sized insights and get to know some fascinating people along the way. Thanks for joining me. Well, I'm really pleased today to be joined by Councillor Susan Aiken. Councillor Aiken has been leader of Glasgow City Council, the the UK's fourth largest city, if I have that right, uh, since May 2017, most recently having been re-elected in the 2022 elections. But really, you've been part of the fabric of the local Glasgow political scene for all of your adult life, I think, having been a councillor for 20 years and before that actively working in Scottish Parliament and the third sector covering policy and and research roles. Uh, You led the city through what was really an incredibly tumultuous time during the pandemic when leaders like you across the country were were really on the front lines of keeping cities working and delivering critical social services. And Glasgow has come out of it even stronger, if I may say, having hosted COP26 last year, which was really an incredibly successful event on so many levels. I want to focus our time together on what makes a great city tick and the influence that government, in particular local government, has on driving social and economic innovation, of which, uh, of course, Glasgow is a great case study and a success story. But before diving into your learnings and, and this wider point, I'm curious really to explore some of the specific ways Glasgow has fostered innovation and what may be on the horizon for you. Top of mind, of course, is the climate crisis and the intense efforts that um, were involved in COP26, which I know from speaking to you before was uh, climate generally and, and COP in particular was a, as near and dear to your heart. Um, what did COP mean for Glasgow and how did the city use it to, to really drive local change and local transformation? A COP was an opportunity that we, you know, we possibly won't have the like of again, um, although we are a, a major global event city in Glasgow. There's nothing quite like a COP. It was huge. Probably the biggest thing we'll ever do for a long time to come. It gave us a global platform, the like of which Glasgow's never had. We've been an emerging, a re-emerging city for a long time after having been a powerhouse in the 19th and early 20th centuries. You know, the term Clyde built um, after our, our river was a a benchmark and a a hallmark of of quality in manufacturing. We went through an incredibly challenging period as a city. Our our post-industrial phase was a brutal one for Glasgow and we still live with the legacy of that. We are still one of the the preeminent post-industrial cities probably in Europe, but we are also now increasingly emerging as a global innovation centre and recognised as such um, innovation in a whole range of sectors, but also innovation in relationships and in and just how we approach things as a city. And climate is one of those. In the run up to COP26, Christiana Figueres, who was the uh, you know the former uh, head of the UNFCCC, she said when people come to Glasgow for COP26, they will see a city in transition, a city that is 
actively transitioning towards a net zero carbon free future. And with all of the challenges that we face, still driving ahead with that and, and with considerable ambition uh, to be net zero by, by 2030 which is really coming up fast around the bend. We're now in 2023. I'm kind of like, okay, that was a big commitment. Unfortunately, time doesn't slow down. It, it does not. Uh, but, you know, I think we we have an increasingly clear understanding of what it is we need to do to decarbonise as a city. And I think the catalyst for a lot of that was COP26. If we hadn't been the host and we hadn't felt that responsibility, to demonstrate to the world that we were leading the way, that we were um, showing what could be done in a city like Glasgow, showing in a lot of ways, as I've said in the past, if you can do this in Glasgow, you can do it anywhere, then you know, we would have failed in our responsibility. We, we always wanted to be more than just a venue, more than just the place where COP26 happened to be. It's what we do with it, with our big events in Glasgow. We wanted the city to be part of COP26 and the COP to be part of the city. And part of that was to make sure that when people came to Glasgow, they could see genuine progress, genuine delivery on the ground in order to address the climate crisis. And a city that was prepared to, to step up and show leadership and bear our responsibility and a historical responsibility because... You know, we were one of the birthplaces of the Industrial Revolution, which created the mess that we're all in there, you know, our planet is in now and, and what we're living with, the legacy that, that we now have to um, very, very quickly uh, fix and address if we're to avoid absolute disaster for humanity. Very profoundly um, put um, and couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, that must have been such a, a relief almost when, when COP was over. But when you think of those months now since, since COP and the legacy of COP, you described a city in, in transition and, and COP being this kind of catalytic moment. Talk to me a little bit about what the legacy of COP has been. Has it, has it been the spark that's fueled some transformative innovation in the city or has it lived up to your expectations? It has been a spark. There, there's no question. It's transformed innovation in the way that we work as a, as a council, as a local authority. We recognised that we had significant gaps in our own capacity and our expertise as a city. And we've recruited to bring in expertise, which I think is perhaps not ordinarily found in local authorities. So um, experts in, in the green economy and in, in what what does a green economy look like? How do you create? Essentially, what we're talking about is it's not just physical transition. It's not just energy transition or, you know, the decarbonisation of our transport systems and our homes. We are talking about fundamental economic transformation that will underpin all of the activities that we need to undertake in order to be a net zero planet with a future, certainly a, a population with a future. It's nothing short of, of the very systems, the urban systems that cities like Glasgow have operated on for decades and, and rely on a day to day for our basic functioning. We have to transform. You know, it's difficult to understate the scale of what we need to do, but we need to do it really fast. And it needs to be done in cities first. It needs to be front loaded into cities uh, because it's a very simple equation. Cities are where the people are, so it's where most of the emissions are. So the biggest gains to be made in reducing emissions are in cities. And it's not that we've not taken on huge challenges as a city before, but we realised we've not done something this big in a while. So we need to think, are we as well placed as we could be as a city and actually in, in order to deliver this? 
So we brought our own expertise in, but we're also increasingly building um, innovation and relationships, um, collaborations, partnerships um, with the private sector. Our existing very, very strong town and gown relationship with our, our universities in the city has strengthened even more. We have a citywide sustainable Glasgow partnership, which I chair, but which is not the council. It has a whole range of partners from public, private sector and, and, and from um, our university sector working together to, to make projects deliverable and, and indeed investable to get those gains and emissions reduction, get us towards net zero, but also deliver that economic transformation and the transformation in um, the quality of place and in the life chances of citizens. I always say that Glasgow still lives with the legacy of a previous unjust transition uh, from our heavy industrial era into our post-industrial era. This time we have to do it right. This time it has to be a just transition. And again, that's about, you know, a, a historical justice, not repeating the mistakes of the past that, that too many people in Glasgow still suffer from. Um, so we've got a massive opportunity, we've got a massive responsibility, and we've got quite a short window of time to deliver it all. I'm feeling stressed out on your be on your behalf. <laughs> um, and I have heard you talk about really quite passionately uh, your vision for this being a, a just transition before. And I think like you, we, we consider cities to be really urban systems with it's, it's complicated and multidimensional with, with government, private sector, third sector, and so forth. When you think of kind of the social outcomes that you want to bring along with the with the transition to low carbon economy, do you do you find those necessarily always in, in tension? I mean, clearly, if you if you're driving innovation, it's prima facie you will leave people behind who are unskilled. How how do you reconcile that tension and make sure that you um, you really are thinking about this in a, in a just uh, just sort of way? I think. You know, the point you make is incredibly good. There, there is real risk in an innovation economy becoming a divided economy and an elitist economy if we're not careful. So I think we have to be very, very intentional about making sure that that's not the case. We're lucky that the, the innovation ecosystem in Glasgow is centred around um, our, the University of Strathclyde and the University of Glasgow, two of our um, five universities in Glasgow, uh, three universities and, and our two specialist arts institutions. But University of Glasgow, a global top 100 university, University of Strathclyde, one of the world's leading engineering universities particularly, both of them have a really, really strong record in what in Scotland we call the widening access agenda, which is ensuring that young people from more disadvantaged backgrounds are getting a university education, that they are being able to take advantage um, of the opportunities to get a degree, um, even if you know they're coming maybe from a background where no one has ever gone to university before, where it's not been even a conversation in their household, that they are able to start having those conversations with someone and make sure that they're able to access those routes in. But as well as that, we also need to be talking about non-graduate routes into these sectors and subsectors which are going to drive that future low carbon economy. It's possibly even more exciting when you get into subsectoral level. So we talk about things like life sciences and advanced manufacturing, but under advanced manufacturing, you know, in Glasgow alone, and this is just off the top of my head, we've got space, we've got 
the biggest space sector outside of the United States. Actually, we're producing more satellites than anywhere outside of uh, the United States. Who knew? That's Small scale micro and pico satellites are, are coming out of Glasgow. Um, photonics, uh, quantum, next generation communication, 6G. I've barely got my head around 5G, I have to say. Nanotech. And these are highly specialist, highly technical sectors and subsectors. But there are also roles in there that are uh, supporting roles that, you know, that not everybody needs to have a PhD to be working in this. And what we are really keen on doing through the, the innovation districts that we've got and, the, and that innovation ecosystem in the city is making sure that it isn't an ivory tower, that it is linking directly into our schools inter-college sector as well, where you have a lot of um, applied policy and applied research, I suppose, in, in those uh, vocational uh, qualifications that people are coming out of our colleges with. There is more than enough space in the innovation economy for uh, different kinds of routes in and different kinds of qualification and different kinds of skills. Um, what we need to do as a city is ensure that the pathways are there that, are, that all of our citizens can access and all of our young people, regardless of the background they come from. But we have to be very, very planned and very intentional about doing that because I think your point about if we just let this happen, there are enormous dangers uh, for widening inequality rather than reducing it. Very aspirational and I think um, an incredibly joined up thinking, which is, which is really inspiring to see truly. I want to talk about one of the other initiatives then, and actually when you're, what you're here in, in London in, in, in many ways for this week, which is the Scottish Cities Alliance, a pretty sweeping program where you've joined up the eight largest major cities of, of, of Scotland together to try to bring transformative shifts to, to, to each of the cities. Tell me a little bit more about um, Scottish Cities Alliance. So Scottish Cities Alliance is about a decade old now. Um, it's very much a, a partnership with the Scottish government um, and supported by the Scottish government. But it brings the leaderships of Scotland's now eight cities, eight since since last year. Uh, we were seven cities and Dunfermline uh, in Fife gained city status in the Queen's Platinum Jubilee process, I think so, in, in July 2022. We're, we're now eight cities. I suppose one of the things it's trying to do is capitalise on the economies of scale that a, a country like Scotland can offer. Um, a small nation of five million people, but incredibly progressive and dynamic, um, very highly skilled, very highly educated nation um, and with incredible opportunities um, and also real challenges, very serious challenges that we need to address, particularly in Glasgow and in uh, probably Dundee, the other city that is the other kind of post-industrial city in Glasgow. Enormous diversity as well. So you have a, a small city, a brand new city like Dunfermline um, with an incredible history, a really, really fast growing city with a, a big hinterland around it. And then you have Glasgow, a genuinely global city, medium sized in global terms, but you know also the heart of of Scotland's only metropolitan region, really the only metropolitan region north of Manchester in the UK with a, a two million population and travel to work area, which, you know, is is operating on a completely different scale. So within that, there's, you know, every range of potential investment that you could possibly hope to find from the multi-billion pound investments that Glasgow has identified to drive our 
net zero transition, like our you know energy transition for the city or or uh, retrofitting buildings right across the city region, um, down to cities, smaller cities like Perth and Dunfermline, where they're growing incredibly fast and they need to provide homes and they want those homes to be not only high quality but low carbon or zero carbon even better and so they're innovating and finding ways to make perhaps more traditional kinds of investments also innovative investments so there are so many opportunities but working together we can capitalize on those different economies of scale. We can give that really varied offer. So, you know, whatever kind of investor you are and whatever kind of place you're looking to invest in, we've got somewhere to offer. But also to have shared objectives and clarity with investors about what it is ultimately, what kind of outcomes are we seeking to achieve? So regardless of whether it's an investment, you know, in, in traditional, say, residential or hotel or office buildings, um, or if it's a more a longer term development kind of investment like energy transition, for example, where you know it's maybe a, a longer term, more collaborative relationship and a bigger scale investment as well that you're looking for. Regardless of that, we all share the same kind of economic and social and environmental objectives that all of Scotland cities want to deliver for our citizens and indeed for the planet. And we can provide that clarity and provide that kind of framework, if you like, so that any investor understands uh, the kinds of asks and requirements we have of them, you know, from the outset, as soon as they come to us, but also a supporting and enabling infrastructure that makes sure that investors are able to, to navigate their way through, you know, the kind of regulatory processes around planning and, and all those kinds of things uh, that, you know, very boring, but have to be done and have to be dealt with and are there for a reason. Uh, but we want to try and make that as smooth as possible for folk. And having that Scottish Cities Alliance gives that kind of enabling infrastructure as well. And I think as as you point out there, there's a there's a bit of, and what I found most interesting actually, is a bit of sharing of best practice. But I mm. remember, I think it was last year where you came up with the, um, the city centre task force. How do we think about our city centres, which were frankly under under threat well before the COVID pandemic, uh, and and certainly look dramatically different now now afterwards. But you really, uh, it's more than just uh, platitudes and words. This was a, a sort of a concrete program, wasn't it? Where you, it where was, each city yeah. took a an initiative. I think yours was housing from from memory. That's right. Yeah. So we we did a shared leadership approach to it, where we each, yeah took an element um, of city centre transformation and went away and did the work on it. So for Glasgow, it was residential and city centres and particularly repurposing um, of buildings. We've identified in Glasgow alone um, some 400 office buildings that are most of them kind of pre-1970, really not fit for purpose for what people are looking for, for particularly hybrid working, uh, which is it's not just the future, it is the present and it is here to stay with us. We're not, we're not going to ever return to a, a pre-pandemic model of, of office life. You know, those buildings are, are not what folk are looking for anymore, but they could still be given useful life and add to that mixed-use, vibrant city centre, which will also help us to build in resilience for the next crisis that comes along. If there's one thing we can be sure of about the modern world is, you know, that pandemic, to be more accurate, I suppose, the lockdown and the impact that the lockdown had and, and various lockdowns had on our city centres, it won't be the last 
crisis that we have to deal with. And resilience and sustainability, economic sustainability, and understanding how we build that in for the future and not constantly going through cycles of responding to crises, but rather weathering crises and seeing our way through them. That's what we need to get to. So we were able to work jointly on that and very importantly, jointly with Scottish government as well. We're seeking some powers from them, I think particularly around strengthening um, our ability to purchase uh, unused or, you know, surplus requirements land and buildings in our cities, which is the compulsory purchase process is, is a challenging one legally and, and it's very time consuming. Uh, if that was something we could speed up um, our ability to to drive redevelopment and repurposing and, and to work with investors who, who are looking for those kinds of opportunities, uh, would just really open that up and we'd be able to accelerate all of this. Uh, so it's been a great platform to do that. I'm not sure it's replicated anywhere else in the UK. There are other city groupings. And so Glasgow, for example, is part of the UK Core Cities Group, which is the 10 biggest cities outside London. A really important relationship, really important uh, platform and forum for us. Again, really important about sharing of information and good practice, but it doesn't have that relationship with government that allows us to to genuinely make this um, a kind of what we have in Scotland is the ability to partner on a national basis and collaborate on a national basis. That's a really good point to maybe zoom out a little bit from the specific case of of Glasgow and and really just think for a few moments about the role of of local government in in general. And I know from from speaking to you in the in the past that you're you're someone who's given this quite deep thought the how local government is is there to help foster innovation and, and transformation, uh, as well as just delivering core services. And it's something, f- frankly, for us as, as investors, when we look at cities, it's a, it's a key criteria. Is local government functioning well? And, and what, is, what is it doing to, to drive innovation? I think it's, it's fair to say that there are people out there who would say it's, it's government's job really to get out of the way of growth and business. But I would really suggest when local government's really at its best, it can actually be the one that unlocks growth and innovation and, and drive that kind of systemic change. Is that a fair assessment, would you say? Is that yes, something you believe in? I, I would completely agree with that. And I think growth and an economy without a clear policy framework and, and a clear kind of government infrastructure sitting behind it almost always turns out to be unequal and exclusive rather than equal and inclusive. And you know, again, it's that thing about clarity of objectives. What is growth for? Why are we pursuing economic growth in a city like Glasgow? For me, it, it is ultimately about the well-being of our citizens, of the people that I'm elected to represent, um, and also about the quality of the places that they live in. But economies are also underpinned by people and places. Uh, they don't exist without people and places. And Local government is not only the layer of government that's closest to those people and places and understands them best, um, but it's also the layer of government that's got the ability um, to make sure that the people and places are economic growth supporting, um, business growth supporting, um, vibrancy and, and dynamism in our economy. And then that vice versa, what's happening in the economy is supporting the well-being and the life chances um, of the people. Uh, I think that more and more we understand that economies don't happen somewhere up there, separate from places. They happen in places. They're very much connected to places. And uh, having a real understanding 
of the place where you're functioning um, as a developer, as an investor, as a business is a positive thing for you. It's an asset for you. It allows you to really gain and benefit from, you know, a city like Glasgow, which has, for example, a really high graduate retention rate, one of the, the best in the UK, one of the best in Europe, has a really highly skilled population, but also has opportunities, probably unrivaled opportunities in the UK to make a difference. If you're a business, you're an investor that is really interested in that uh, social impact and that environmental impact, you can take advantage of our incredibly skilled population, but you can also perhaps take a little bit of time to add some skills, to you know, run an apprenticeship programme, for example. You benefit from that, the city benefits from that, the individuals that you're supporting benefit from that. Ultimately, these are shared good social and economic goods that everyone gets the best out of. Um, so the, the more that we can link that understanding of place, um, understanding of economies and, and business needs and make sure that our people are geared up to support economic growth, to take advantage of the opportunities, but also are gaining benefits from that. That's When it comes to, to climate change particularly, I was saying this to someone recently, we don't have a public sector planet and a private sector planet. We all live on the same planet. And, you know, if we carry on with uh, the damage that we're doing to it, uh, wealth, it's only going to buy you protection for so long. You know, it's, it's coming for all of us. So when you think about the relationship between local government and national government and what's what's happening uh, down here in, in Westminster, uh, I had Julie Hirogoyen on the podcast a few weeks ago, chief exec of the UK Green Building Council, the UK GBC. And the UK GBC has just released its assessment of Westminster's climate policies. And they went through them line by line and uh, gave them a traffic light score, red, amber, green, about whether they were uh, particularly working in terms of meeting our net zero commitments as a nation. And it wasn't a particularly pretty report card. What do you think national government needs to do to shift the dial? They need to move from talking about it to actually delivering it. And, and in order to deliver it, they need to resource it. And they also need to empower particularly cities, but municipalities and local government generally to deliver this. National governments, by and large, um, are not delivery mechanisms. They, they do legislation, they create policy frameworks. Local government are the folk that actually do stuff on the ground every single day. And pick up the pieces when things go wrong. Exactly, yes. And, you know, we, we have particularly in Scotland, but in the UK as well, reasonably ambitious targets for, for net zero. I think at UK level, they could they could definitely be more ambitious. But, you know, there are, there are for all that are, I think, particularly within the, the current uh, party of government in the UK, uh, there are very much dissenting voices on climate change and net zero still. There is, by and large, a consensus, a political consensus in the UK that this is an agenda that is not just worth pursuing, it is vital to pursue. But there is still a disconnect between that ambition and that, that stated aim and that stated consensus and delivery. And the timescales are such that there really is not time to mess around. We are in the crucial decade. And that was one of the things that came out very strongly from COP26 and then was reiterated at COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, is that this is the time what governments need to be 
putting their action plans in place. Paris was about targets. It was about, you know, binding people to saying, this is what we're aiming for. The Glasgow Climate Pact, it is about delivery and it, it gives the framework for delivery. So they, they need to go on with it. And certainly, I think the year between COP26 and COP27, and there are reasons for this, obviously, you know, I think not just the aftermath of the pandemic, but the war in Ukraine and the cost of living crises that are being experienced across the world, but particularly acutely in the, in the United Kingdom, in some ways served as, as almost a useful distraction sometimes for national governments who sort of went, oh, no, we need to focus on that now. But in actual fact, the energy price crisis, which is affecting so many of our citizens, even in Glasgow, we're looking at you know 60% levels of, of energy poverty now in the city. You know, that's a, a, a big increase from where we were even just a year ago. We know that the solutions are found in climate action to a very significant degree. It gives us energy security. It gives us lower cost energy. So invest in it now and make sure that, that this is happening. That that original existential crisis of the climate crisis hasn't gone away. It's still very much with us. And I think, regrettably, that, that year between those two COPs was, was a bit of a wasted year when it came to climate action. They, they can't afford to keep wasting years. Uh, this This needs to happen now. And the UK certainly is full of cities who are ready to step up. And I think you're referring to the, the net zero scrutiny group in, in Westminster and these, the, this kind of growing band of, of climate skeptics yeah. that seem to be who, who we should, out of we, touch. We should treat, frankly, with the contempt that they deserve, but, you know, can't ignore the fact that perhaps have, um, have influence and hold over, it, over a government that is to a degree in the, the thrall of its, it, its backbenchers and, and some of its, its more extreme elements. And that makes it even more important that where city leaderships are, have made clear climate commitments and are attempting to deliver on them on the ground as much as we can, that we keep our voices very loud. You know, I hope that we don't ever get to a situation in the UK where US cities were during the Trump era, where they were having to try and keep climate action alive in the United States and did so very, very successfully during that period. But they, they had to make their voices heard very, very loudly. We're not quite that bad yet in the UK, but certainly I cities need to be up there saying not only is it not acceptable for you to backslide on this, you need to accelerate and you need to empower and resource cities to deliver because we know how to deliver. We're all about delivery. We do it every single day. Every single day we... We care for people in their homes. We educate children. We fix potholes. We, you know, empty bins. We we do action on the ground every single day in a way that national governments don't to the same degree. So trust and empower us to deliver. And if you don't, you will fail. And you you will fail populations not only in, in not achieving the potential of the net zero transition, which is is enormous, it's you know it's not just a threat; it's one of the biggest economic opportunities that we have. Uh, but you know, there's no question in my mind that no matter how high the financial cost for transition is now, if we don't invest that in the next ten years, the cost we'll have to pay in the ten years after that will be far, far higher, far higher, and it'll be a human and environmental cost as well as a financial one. So, yeah, we need to get moving on it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. 
Well, we're quickly running out of out of time, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to, to give us some of your thoughts on the future of, of cities. You um, intimated earlier that we've adapted and adopted this nomadic working habits. People have moved out of cities in many cases, but quite to the contrary, the UN still predicts that by 2050, 70% of us will live in cities. We're adding some 2.5 billion people uh, to cities around the world by that time. And it seems to me that there's some pretty deep anthropologically linked reasons for us to come together in in cities. Yeah. Uh, when you think about the, the future of cities, what what comes to mind? The urbanist professor Greg Clark, who's very well known to a lot of people in UK cities, used a line at COP26, which I remember I put on the notes app in my phone and I've, I've used it a few times since. I thought he really summed up that cities and city centres particularly are moving from commuting, consumerism and corporates to experience, habitat and innovation. And that is absolutely what's happening in Glasgow. That's not to say that our corporates are not enormously important, but our corporates are more and more becoming part of that innovation ecosystem. They are more and more supporting that shift to a much more vibrant mixed use city centre, which will be much more resilient to future shocks. Cities are becoming much, much more multi-purpose, I think. The kind of zoning of the past, and Glasgow was a real victim of this. We were the worst hit of any city centre in the UK outside of London by the pandemic in terms of loss of footfall in our city centre and slowness of recovery as well. I'm glad to say that investors into the city, they have real confidence that Glasgow city centre will come back and, and I with them on that. But we do have slow recovery and that's a hangover from decisions of the past to really make uh, Glasgow City Centre very, very focused on retail and on office accommodation and essentially to push the population out of the city centre. In the, the kind of post, immediate post-industrial era, Glasgow was, and the centre of the city was depopulated massively. We were, we were one of very few cities in the world that was a million city population that's gone backwards. I think this is anecdotal, but I read somewhere us in Detroit are among the few that that's happened to Glasgow is repopulating and, and our population is reurbanizing again. We're growing fast, but we still have that hangover and that's what hit us when the pandemic came along. Our repopulation of the city centre was still at a relatively early stage. It is enormously important that we get people back to live in the city centre and that we don't have cities that have bits where retail happens here, people live over there, people work over there. Every bit of every city needs to be where people live, work, play 24-7. That's what the modern city needs to offer and do so sustainably and do so and that, you know, is supported by urban systems that allow people to live as sustainable lives as possible and also as equitable as possible. That's what we need. That's what this, the future of cities is. I think it is eminently achievable not without challenge, but it is eminently achievable. If we're clear about that's where we, where we want to get to and what the role of city governments is, is to enable that process, to, to make sure that both in, in our governance, in our, our policy frameworks and in, in our placemaking, we are enabling people to live that way. It's not telling them to live that way. It's not making them live that way. It's what we need to do is make it as easy as possible for them to live sustainably and to live within the most vibrant and mixed and diverse city setting that we can possibly create for them. 
Well, that's an absolutely perfect place to end. Councillor Aiken, thank you so much for joining me on the on the forecast today. It's been an absolutely fascinating uh, discussion. We'll put some links in the show notes to Scottish Cities Alliance and some of the other things that you've uh, that you've referred to for people that want to learn more. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Basil Demaroudis, and you've been listening to The Forecast. Thanks for tuning in. The Forecast is brought to you by Four Partnership, the purpose-driven real estate investment firm that proves you can do well by doing right. Subscribe to the Four Partnership newsletter at fourpartnership.com for more insight and opinion.